Welcome to the Mosh Zone, episode 121, week 121, volume 121, number fucking 121. Hey, going, guys? How's your week been? Thank you for tuning in. This week's guest is Jesse of Misery Signals, and that will be coming up later in the show. Let's kick things off with single of the week. This week it comes from Alpha Wolf and their new track is called Akudama. It will feature on their sophomore album which will be titled A Quiet Place to Die. That sees its release September 25th through Sharp Tone Records and Grayscale Records. The Alpha Wolf boys are back and they haven't missed a beat. I was trying to find words to best describe this track this week. And all I need to simply say is this is sexy mosh music. Get around this. If you know Alpha Wolf, you're going to love this. If you haven't quite discovered them yet, this is a great place to start. The track is called Akudama. The album it will feature on is A Quiet Place to Die, which gets its release September 25th. And of course, the band is Alpha Wolf. Now, after you've checked out that track, if you haven't yet heard our chat with Sabian, the guitarist of the band, that was episode 93. Make sure you go back and give that a listen. Album of the week comes from End, and the album is titled Splinters from an Ever-Changing Face. It's the debut album from the guys, and it's out now through Closed Casket Activities. This album and I don't mince my words, is going to be one of the most important and best hardcore metalcore albums of the year. Abrasive, chaotic, heavy as hell, thick breakdowns, brutal atmospheric vibes. Make sure you listen to this today and thank me tomorrow. That album is called Splinters from an Ever-Changing Face and the band is called End. Let's get into feedback, questions, what's been going on. Pretty quiet week, understandably. But thank you, as always, to all our listeners from across the world who are tuning in each week. We see our numbers and we appreciate all of our listeners. Also, everyone listening, if you have time this week, help us out with a share, a rating and a review. Enough of the ramblings, enough of the jibber-jabber. Let's kick into the main part of the show. This week, I got to sit down and chat with Jesse of Misery Signals. First thing I got to say, thank you so very, very, very much, dude, for taking time out for me and the Mosh Zone. Much love, much respect, much appreciated. So if you're unaware of Jesse's history or Misery Signals, Jesse was a part of a Canadian hardcore band called Compromise from the early 2000s. Tragic circumstances led to the band ending and unfortunately the loss of two members, Jordan and Daniel, in 2002. Misery Signals formed shortly after. Jesse and the band together released one EP and a now iconic debut album. Jesse left the band, or more correctly was kicked out of the band around 2006, but everything has come full circle. He's back in the band, and he is about to release a new album. The new album will be titled Ultraviolet, and it gets released August 7th. Now, this album that's going to get released 
is essential listening for fans of the band and for fans of melodic hardcore. Misery Signals are one of those bands for me that I've been in love with since the moment they began and I'm still in love with today. Jesse and Misery Signals have been a big part of my life and to get Jesse on the show was a massive, massive moment for me as a diehard fan, but also a massive moment for the show. I loved everything about this chat. It was a bromance conversation. It felt like I was chatting with a best mate. This achieved a lot for me and meant a lot for me. And I hope everyone listening enjoys this as much as I do. That chat with Jesse is coming up now. Right, let's kick things off. So um, start off with the same for everyone. And it's an artist or a musician growing up that made you realize that music was a thing, was an entity unto itself. It doesn't have to be heavy, but just a musician in, in itself. Right. Um, I was super fortunate to have parents that were very, very heavily involved in music. Mom, neither of them played a whole bunch. Mom played piano. Uh, but my dad is just a, uh, rabid music collector. So he, uh, has still to this day, the biggest vinyl collection that, that I know of. And so I was exposed to just a ton of, their music early on, like a lot of 70s rock and 60s rock, a lot of Iggy and Bowie and Lou Reed and The Police and Bob Marley and The Clash and stuff like that. Um, first thing that I remember just really loving was Twisted Sister. Ooh. Um, and so my aunt got me stay hungry for what was my sixth Christmas. Um, so my auntie Wanda got me that record and yeah i was just super super excited about that so my dad would listen to the stooges and he would listen to nazareth and there was definitely heavier stuff that i was exposed to that i'm thankful for but that heavy metal uh you know real metal he didn't really have much of that or any of that in his collection um so when i first saw twisted sister i remember being very taken back by it and and wanting that record and I enjoyed Stay Hungry, and I and I, I, I liked Twisted Sister. Um, but from there, that brought me to Motley Crue, and I would say that's kind of the thing that that was my the band that I loved growing up through my through my young younger years. Motley Crue was was the thing for me. What well, I mean, you know, anyone listening, I'll be surprised if you don't know either of those bands. But visually, there's quite a, something different about those bands. So was it the visual aspect that initially drew you in or was it the energy of the music that drew you in? I think both. I think uh, back then still there was so much mystique and mystery within music. Um, you know, around the same time, I remember seeing Kiss, the movie Kiss Meets the Phantom of the Park. Mm-hmm. And not really fully understanding the lines between what was fiction and what was reality. And, and some of that imagery that Motley Crue and Kiss and Twisted Sister used definitely was a drawing thing for me. It definitely drew me to them. And then musically, yeah, it just always, that kind of thing just pumped me up. You know, I also had an uncle who was into metal and he's the first person to play me Metallica. He's the first person to, that I remember, you know, playing ACDC for me. He made me a little tape about the same time when I'm like six 
And on one side was ACDC high voltage. On, on the other side was rat invasion of privacy. Mm. And those, I just remember uh, just feeling amped. I remember feeling when I, when I listened to that music the same way I did when I, when I watched wrestling on a Saturday night, you know, when I stayed up late to watch WWF Saturday night's main event, um, it just, it made me want to run around the living room and, and, uh, it still does. So from, from there, what's your musical discovery like? Are you kind of a sponge? Are you going out and finding the music you want to listen to? Or do you have someone, you know, that is influencing, like you said, like your uncle with Metallica and stuff, but is there someone at school that's helping you? Like, what's your discovery path like? A variety of, uh, of outlets, I suppose, just being growing up in the eighties and being involved in skateboarding, um, having these parents at home that were so into music that to me, you know, there was nothing, the greatest, greatest thing you could be was, was David Bowie or something like that, you know? So I always just had this very natural, um, attraction to music. So from, from Molly Crew and stuff, I guess, uh, through skateboarding and some of the older skateboarders, you know, that's when I first heard about SNFU, which was a, an Edmonton punk rock band that has done fairly well. And it was really, really influential on me because they were from here. And I saw that from an early age, Oh, you could, you could be from this small prairie Canadian city and, and, and do something. Um, you know, around the same time you start to hear Metallica, yeah, I, you know, skateboarding on a lawn trap with my friend Chris Kays. He uh, plays Anastasia pulling teeth for me, you know, when I'm about seven, maybe eight. Uh, you know, bass solo, take one. And again, that's just this this uh, huge monumental moment, right, where you're exposed to, to something just so fresh and so new. And again, just older skateboarders that I, that I would be around and my uncle and stuff. Um, I remember my uncle playing trapped under ice for me in his car uh you know when i'm like same thing seven or eight years old and just just blaring it's so loud you know and it's just uh very very impactful very very memorable so i was pretty into metal pretty early on and um that was what i definitely gravitated towards by the time i was a teenager that's kind of when i started to get more into the more to death metal and stuff, I started getting into uh, Bolt Thrower was the first thing I remember hearing where, I, again, I was like, what is this? This is just insane music. Um, around the same time, like Cannibal Corpse, Deicide, and, and Cynic. I would say Cynic is just this hugely influential band on my, um, you know, what, I, what I appreciate in music, I guess. It took some some time before I really got into uh, what people would deem, I guess, hardcore, you know, and, and metalcore or anything like that. I would stay up late some Saturday nights. And there's a um, university. The University of Alberta here has a radio station called CJSR. And that's sort of where I would be first exposed to suicidal tendencies um, and some more stuff that I would deem, I guess, you know, maybe more crossover, maybe more more in the hardcore realm of things. Was there a trigger for you that made you want to start, you know, getting into it more of um, a path musically than just listening? Like, was there a trigger moment for you that you said, this is something I want to do? Like, you know, I want to give this a go. I want to be a musician of sorts, you know. 
because of my folks that would like I said it was kind of like that was always the thing there was no greater thing you could be than um you know like being involved in rock so to be a rock star was kind of from a very early age this very attractive thing to me to make music for a living so I don't remember you know uh how early that that started but I remember seeing the movie Crossroads when I was eight years old um, with Ralph Macchio and Steve Vai in that. And I remember after that, I, I asked my folks, you know, can, can you get me a guitar? So for my eighth birthday, they got me a Fender, a little Fender acoustic guitar. Um, and, and dad told me that, like, once you can play that, uh, as soon as you can play that well, I'll, I'll get you a, an electric guitar. Right. Mm. And so uh, that's that's probably when I started to, to, to have aspirations of uh of playing in bands so i mean how long did the the guitar thing play out for you i mean was it was it something you gave a red hot go at uh i mean i i have kind of always i started out playing guitar i still play guitar a fair amount like when i started playing in bands uh, we started doing kind of like death metal stuff when i was a kid i played in a band called pugnacious and right off the bat there i was the guitar player but we didn't have a bass player, so we had a, we had two guitar players. So just sort of, I just went to bass because we didn't have one, you know. And that's kind of how I ended up singing as well. Is in my band Compromise, I played bass and I did backup vocals. Mm. When our one singer quit, um, we had tours lined up, and so Jordan and I kind of, we was you know he actually sang on a, a number of shows before I moved on to vocals. But it was just basically out of necessity how I how I became a singer and uh from from compromise then it was just a um a natural path to seven angels and misery signals so let's come back to high school you know it's something I always make sure I ask everyone because you know I remember what it was like at school everyone saying you need to have a path mapped out you need to know your career you need to have this set in stone uh but obviously might have been a bit different for you because your folks are very musically inclined. They're big into it. As you said, the the Bowie rock star kind of goal meant you made it. So in high school, you've got some stuff going on musically with bands, but are you focused only into that or are you focused into something else as a career path? Yeah, no, I was just so focused on just playing in bands. Like, um yeah, that was from the from the definitely from the time I started Pugnacious. So when I'm like about 15, 16, it was just kind of that way. It was that it was jam every day, you know, jam twice a day if you can, um, and just play guitar. To, you know, play guitar, or play bass till your till your fingers bleed. That was uh, the mentality, I guess. Then when I when I was a younger fella. And what was the local scene in your town like? You know, you mentioned. You know, there was very few bands that kind of were making it in a sense. So you're in a band, Pugnacious, but what's it like around the local scene? Are there gigs always on or is it kind of a gig only really happens when someone international comes into town? <sighs> Fortunately here in, in, I mean, it's, you know, a, a fairly small Canadian city. SNFU, uh had a pretty big impact on on the city and i think kind of you know you'd see shows every weekend there would be the shows at eastwood hall and like a lot of hall shows um there's a band called the smalls that is from here that kind of picked up uh 
started around when would they have started early 90s and they had a really really great following here especially well, most of western canada they could really draw people in so there was there was scenes here it's just that uh probably much the same as you guys like it's we kind of look to america i guess a lot of the mm-hmm. time for our entertainment and some of those trends that might start in america uh, or overseas, you know, um, in Britain or so, or wh- wherever case may be. It takes sometimes a while to get up here into Canada. Um, so there was, you know, when I was a kid, there was there was a metal scene and there was a punk rock scene. There wasn't, you know, any sort of hardcore scene when I when I was a teenager. It wasn't really till Compromise started, um, and around you know the early two thousands that that kind of stuff started to blossom here. Now, you know, before we get into some compromise stuff and then, you know, rolling on to misery signals, um, anyone that knows what you do lyrically, you're very much in tap with emotion um, and putting yourself on the line. Is that something that even in the early days that you liked music that was raw and personal and could be connected with? Because going from something like, Motley Crue, Twisted Sister. I'm not saying it's authentic. I'm not disrespecting the band, but that's real, you know, showpiece music, lyrically and everything. And then you look at what you do, and it's very open. It's very raw. It's very personal. Um, So is that something you always intentionally wanted to do when you were in bands and in music? Uh, Words and lyrics were always very important to me. Um I think that uh, my father, very much, uh, his love of music, and, and my mother as well, they would they would also focus on lyrics, and, and, and <clears throat> my dad would sing lots, and my mom would sing lots. So words uh, always were super important to me from a, a very young age. Um, just being good mattered to me, you know, I guess. So, so I would study the music and I would study the other side. I would study the words and, and the phrasing of singers. I think the the thing that really started to push me to be, um, I guess what people, what, what people appreciate about uh, what I've done in misery signals and stuff. I think that's largely comes to fruition or starts to, um, develop through compromise because, uh, Jordan Wodehouse, the guitar player in that band, also wrote lyrics, and, and he was very influential on me as a lyricist. He was very personal, and I think that early on when we wrote the songs that I lived, that we wrote, that we liked, that we thought were really good, um, were personal. And he was he was into hardcore and into bands like Poison the Well and Shai Hulud and stuff prior to me. Um, and so he kind of brought some of that to me. I'm not saying that I think some of the stuff my folks listened to when I was a kid, you know, was, it was also very, very honest Lou Reed, you know, Bob Dylan, Bob Marley. I can appreciate all sides of it. You know, I love deal. I love the dungeons and dragons side of heavy metal, but that's just not me. And, and especially when I wrote malice, um, I just had to say those words. I had to scream those words. Um, and so there was just, it was personal to me and my experience, you know, and, and I think I, I, I know when I've, when I've done well, I guess I know, um, when something connects, you know, I, I think I, uh, myself and the guys 
recognize that when we've created something good. And I think when that resonates with other people, um, you know, it, it, it just kind of reaffirms, reaffirms it. Mm-hmm. So I know that, yeah, I know that, that people like malice and people, um, relate to malice. And I know that we, we did, we did well on that. So I, I, I don't want to say I use that as a template, you know, but it's, um, uh, I can recognize the things that I've done well in the past and I can sort of draw upon those. Yeah. It's, I, I love it. Um, yeah. Without jumping too far forward. Yeah. Love it. And just based off what I've heard off, uh, uh, the Tempest as well. Um, you know, without jumping too far forward, it's been out, what I say two weeks. Um, and I think I've listened to it over 50 times. Um, I just, I've become a little bit obsessed with it and I get obsessed with music. You know, I go onto my Spotify and it's there and I play it four or five times in a row and then listen to something else, then come back to it. So I love what you do, man. So part of that is also the lyrics. Um, um, so thank you for being you. So let's, um, let's go back. Um, you know, compromise forms. And as you said, you were doing bass and backups and what were the, was compromise making a bit of an impact locally in the early days? Because, you know, some people may know that, you know, that band and Seven Angels, Seven Plagues became kind of misery signals in a sense. But um, at the time of compromise going around, did you feel like you had momentum and you were building things? Yes. Uh, Jordan Jordan was a very um, special individual, just someone that you were naturally attracted to, that someone that drew people in. Um, and so his passion uh, was... was it was contagious, absolutely. Like when Compromise started, I was still in Pugnacious, and Pugnacious was, you know, like at times um, metal, but at times near the end, it was it was definitely you know kind of going more metalcore into and hardcore at times. So when Compromise first started, it was more of this this Deftones kind of thing, and then Jordan went to Hellfest, um, two thousand two thousand, and he came back, and he was then just hell bent on. This is what we're doing. Uh, everything that we've done in the past is is garbage, basically. Scrap it, and we're starting fresh. And we're kind of using these, you know, Shy Hulud and, and Poison the Well. Uh, these are these are the people that you you need to be paying attention to, right? So that's kind of what I was getting to with the, with the lyric thing as well. Like he he comes back from that Hellfest, and for the next year, we really um, dive into you know what is American metalcore, I guess, at that time, and. Um, just studying the lyrics of Jacob Bannon and, and, and studying Zao and, and just really just kind of like you're saying, right. Obsessing about, uh, about this new thing. And so, yeah, him, him going to, to Hellfest and coming back was just, uh, it lit a fire under all of us just to start creating this hardcore band. And it just never stopped that fire that he started then. It just, it just, it just grew and grew and grew. And, um, much like your guys' country, it's, it's not an easy country to tour here. Um, cities are very far apart. And so it took a lot of will and a lot of hard work, but just like we had these, um, we had these people to look up, look up to the smalls and SNFU. We had, we had witnessed that you could start in Edmonton and you could grow. 
you could go to Calgary, you could create a scene in Red Deer in Calgary, you could tour through the mountains, you know, and even if they were small mountain towns, there was, you know, ski towns in, in Jasper and Banff and places like this where people are snowboarding and wanting to party and uh, they're, they're, they're into listening to some heavy metal and some hardcore. And then you get out to Vancouver and it was just this whole other world. It was more akin to the United States. It was a larger population. It was, there was a hardcore scene there, more developed, you know? Um, so yeah, Jordan, Jordan just had this thing about him that people gravitated towards. And I was one of those people. And when compromise started, it was, uh, just us, us playing in, in a basement and, you know, then it was playing shows here. And then, um, as much like I listened to your podcast the other day with Adam uh, from 12 Tribes. And mm. 12 Tribes is, is uh, one of the greatest bands of all time. And he was talking about goals and, and how, you know, your, your first goal was to, okay, we're going to headline a show in our hometown. And then we're going to headline a show. He said, I think uh, they went to Dayton or maybe I'm not mistaken. But that idea, you know, you're just, you're kind of, each time you uh, reach your goal, maybe you set a bigger goal. So for us, it was Edmonton. Then it was Edmonton, Calgary. Then it was let's get out to Vancouver. Uh, but Jordan was a very driven person. And so very, very quickly we were touring into the United States and we were um, just busting our butts to, to uh, make, make ourselves known. Yeah, and busting busting your ass and working hard and, you know, grinding at it is the perfect term I like to use. It's something that back then you kind of had to do if you wanted to make it. Um, but it's not easy to do, to grind and, you know, play a show to hardly anyone. But obviously you guys were just determined no matter what. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I think that... Uh... I don't even think that we were, you know, like necessarily great right out the gates, um, but we were just driven. You know, Jordan was just this, like I said, this force where we we're getting in a van, we're going to tour and we're just going to play a show, you know, uh, wherever we can, we can play a show and just sort of spread our message. He was, uh, yeah, just a, a massive force in my life. And, um, you know, the unfortunate next thing, that kind of happens in the band's path is the, you know, the car accident. Um, unfortunately, Jordan and Daniel pass. Um, and then, you know, it, it kind of seemed like you just instantly kept moving. Um, and you then joined Seven Plagues, Seven, uh, Seven Angels, Seven Plagues for a while, filling in. Um, and they were on tour with you guys at the time. Um, looking back, did you kind of just have to keep rolling with things um, or did you not have a chance to stop and reflect? Yeah, it's a crazy time. Um, there's just there's so little time in between uh, the crash and when I, when I go back down into the States. Um, I felt... I felt driven by Jordan and Daniel. I felt that I had to honour their sacrifices and i think at that point um because Braden and and junior were were so hurt from the crash and the idea of, of somehow getting two new guitar players and, and starting the band all over again it was so daunting um i just i, I needed to keep moving i think and and maybe to i think i ran away in ways you know um 
and I think that some of that came back to, to haunt me a little bit in, in misery signals because I didn't fully deal with some of the trauma and pain um, in maybe uh, the best manner. So, I mean, I came home, I, I flew home from Birmingham, uh, from Alabama, and I think I was here two weeks. And then uh, I flew to Hellfest, which was the Hellfest 2002, and Seven Angels was playing. Timo had just quit because because of the accident. He was really freaked out of the accident. This is the second singer from Seven Angels. He was on tour with, with us when the accident occurred, and... Um, it shook him so badly that he quit. So they had already been booked for the Hellfest that year. And so they brought Mixon back. Mixon came back to sing that Hellfest. Um, and in those couple weeks prior, I had been in contact with Matt Matera, the guitar player. And he's, um, he's the one that invited me to come down ultimately to, uh, to try out for Seven Angels. So this this weird thing where I just got home and, and the, their singer quit and Seven Angels is like my favorite band in the world and I'm offered this gig and it just seemed insane not to at least give it a shot. Yeah. And so uh, so I did. Well, I mean, you know, it's it's kind of the thing. I mean, yeah, you were you were a very young young man at that stage in life and I think some people um, they don't know how they're going to deal with things. And for you at the time, um, you know, hindsight's twenty twenty, and you can say, well, maybe I didn't do it the right way or maybe I could have done this. But at the time, that was the right thing to do. And like you said, an opportunity came up um, and it lasted for a while, not too long, seven, seven angels, seven plagues. Um, when you were in seven angels, seven plagues, and then it broke up, um, did you feel like that was it? maybe for a while musically or did you just think look hey that's this finished no matter what I'm going to roll in, into something else um, because as some people may know then misery signals formed yeah so we had I went down and uh, met those guys at Hellfest and then I just drove back with them in the van um, to Milwaukee and I stayed there for a couple weeks and we just just practiced um and we started writing new songs and we uh just went through all the old stuff uh it was just just this amazing time but yeah just this this crazy time for this canadian uh kid all by himself down there um we played one show where it was mixing singing most and then he introduced me and i sang the last couple songs actually i think we sang one song together and I might have sang one or two on my own. Um, there's footage of that, I think, on YouTube, actually. And about maybe a week later, we play Furnace Fest. Um, and that's my the only show that I ever play, uh, you know, where I front the band for the entire show. And this is in Birmingham, Alabama, ironically, where the crash just occurred two months prior. So I go back to this city, um, and then we 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 all uh, we go back to Milwaukee and and uh, ultimately Jared the drummer just just decides that he, he doesn't want to continue on. So it was devastating because we did have some Canadian shows booked at that time. Uh, it was devastating because you know I we all we had all sacrificed a great amount to be where we were at that point. Um, 
and then all of a sudden it was just it was just done and and, and that was it was harsh because I mean Seven Angels had um, a really the trajectory at that point the band was was uh, there was a lot of hype around the band and I was very proud and happy to be in that band. Thankfully, I had formed very strong relationships already with Kyle and Ryan. And no, there was never even a point where, uh, we were not going to continue. It was just, it was just keep going, change the name, uh, get a drummer and, and, uh, let's keep going. And, you know, misery signals forms about 2003, um, you know, there was the self-titled EP um, initially um, dedicated lovingly to Jordan and Daniel. Early years of Misery Signal before the album, um, was there much leftover momentum from Seven Angels coming into Misery Signals or was it back from square one for Misery Signals at day one? No, I think because of that, that scene, you know, because it is so DIY, um, people knew Kyle, and people knew Ryan, and people knew, knew myself. And, and I think the hype of Seven Angels and the hype of Compromise just, just helped us kind of be, um, have excitement around our band right out the gates, you know. And uh, we didn't have to wait a whole bunch of time we didn't have to you know kill ourselves in the manner that seven angels had and compromise had um in order for there to be eyes on us you know so no the 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 momentum of those bands surely helped us in the early days well the momentum must have also helped because you know going into of malice and the magnum heart there was two big things with that album one was you had devon townsend behind the desk um, which any of the younger generation, if you don't know who Devon is, you need to do some homework. Um, and also, uh, you had Ferret as your label. Um, uh, first, kind of a two-part question. How did the Ferret thing come about? Did they approach you? Did you approach them? And then Devon, I mean, was there a sense of uh, pressure and nerves and expectation for you and the guys working with a man so talented as Devon is? Yeah, so first thing, um, Ferret was, uh, came about because of the EP. And the EP, we did some dates with Every Time I Die very early on. Those guys had a relationship with Every Time I Die from Seven Angels. Um, toured together, but we're also just friendly. So I know that Andy, uh, the guitar player, was a big supporter of the band and really liked the EP. And so he played it a bunch. And I think when those guys were recording or just hanging out with Carl one weekend, they just played uh, the, the EP a whole bunch for him. And and after that, he was like, I got to, I got to talk with these guys. So it was again at the next Hellfest, Hellfest 2003, where he, um, where we, where we, where, where we set everything in, in, in gear. So, yeah, it was, I mean, the momentum of Seven Angels helped with that. I don't think that they were, I don't even know actually, but I don't think that they knew Carl prior. I think that it was just um, at the uh, urging of Andy and Every Time I Die that we were a worthwhile thing that that he uh, got some interest in us. It's a big move, label connection. Um, And I think some, like, you know, like I've said with a, a lot of people that have been in the industry for a while, it 
you know, I think nowadays people misunderstand how big a label connection was, especially those days. Absolutely. Especially in those days. Um, you know, there's things about labels that are, are dark and bad and all that, but there is no disputing that, that Carl, he took us to a place where maybe we never would have gotten on our own. Right. And he, 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 he gave us money and he, he believed in us. Um, he put us in touch with people that, you know, he just, the guy that was in the game for a long time, right. Whether he was singing or putting out records, he's, he'd been around so he could, you know, he, he just, he could help us to get on tours with the bands. And that was one of the biggest things early on, right. Is just, okay, now we're going on tour with Zale, you know, like, okay, that, that's, that's, that's excellent. Okay. Now you're going on tour with Dillinger escape plan. You know, like these are, these are connections that, um, that he brought to the table that, that really helped us. And what about Devin? Dev is, uh, just like my childhood hero that being a young Canadian, uh, metalhead, he's a guy that I just had eyes on from a fairly young age. Um, I was fortunate to be exposed. There's a band called process that uh, comes from Vancouver. It's a band actually called disciples of power. That's initially from Edmonton. That is a fantastic tech uh, death metal band that you should check out. If you've never heard them, one guitar player from that band moved to Vancouver and started a band called process and process came here in the early nineties. I saw them open for that band, the smalls that I spoke about. Mm. And that was the first, death metal band that I ever saw live and they were just this amazing group of misfits uh, that just absolutely shredded and and scared me and fascinated me uh, and so I, I would always go see that band whenever they came to town and I became friends with them just by hanging around and, and begging them to begging them to let me hang around and eventually became friends with them and the drummer from that band um plays half about half of the songs on heavy is a really heavy thing so adrian and white and i became friends and i'd go to vancouver and spend a lot of time with adrian and then all of a sudden process broke up and he told me like i'm starting to jam with this crazy dude named Devin. uh you got to hear this music it is insane you know and sure enough it, it was insane and De Devin was insane and i was there one weekend um it's the first time i met dev i'm like 16 or something and in the you know, I remember I, mean, I was in the basement and Dev comes in and he's like, uh, he, he picks up, no, he gets behind the drum kit and he hands a guitar to me and he's like, let's jam, you know, <laughs> and it's just, you know, it just absolutely in intimidated, right? So um, that's, you know, my introduction to Dev. Uh, Adrian only played on that first record, but... I was friendly with Dev from that point on. And whenever he came to Edmonton with strapping, uh, I would see him. And we had a lot of mutual friends just from the metal community. And eventually we, we sort of became friends. And so when he would come um, through, he would sometimes stay with me. And when it came time to, to do Malice, um, there was just, there was no other option for me it was just the most obvious thing that hey i know this guy who will make us sound really really good uh and i think that you know i can i can get him to work with us and so um that was just like a dream come true it was a dream come true because all of a sudden you know i could 
not just sort of beg dev hey come and record my band but you know we could actually pay him to do so and uh spend some really quality concentrated time to create uh, a good record did he um did he push you um you know some people producers are there to help mold what happened and some are there to push to get you to your limits to produce amazing art so does dev um around that time is he really pushing you to get the best out of you yeah he's uh he's definitely very serious um about about recording and technique and 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 getting a good product i i just yeah he would just push me till my till i had no voice you know and then we would keep going um he brought out uh a, a lot of the band and I, I don't I don't even know where the band would be if we hadn't have done that record with him because I think it I think in ways the sound of that record set us apart from some of the other bands that were of the same size or the same kind of same kind of bands as us at that point. I think some of the uh, synth work and some of the singing stuff that he did uh, and a lot of the yeah I just think he brought the, the best out of the band and uh, we're very fortunate to have had him well i think also the thing about that album that kind of set you apart was also the real you know it was hard on the sleeve give it all uh raw passion emotion uh which could be seen in the songs uh, could seen in the way the music was played you know songs like the year summer ended in june five years things like this um at the time were you really proud of what you produced because it it was a raw album for you because of everything that was coming out of you. Yeah. Uh, yeah, just, just extremely proud. I mean, I, 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 I cried the first time that I listened to the the record when I, when I got the mastered copy, we were in Calgary playing a show and I, uh, I just took the CD and I went in the van and I went for a drive by myself. And I remember hearing victim for the first time with, with all the dev background singing and all the, just all the layers and it brought me to tears, you know? And so, yeah, it was uh, an immense sense of, of, of pride to, to complete that project, to honor my friends, um, to have kind of come through the fire and, and all of us come together, you know, uh, three Americans and two Canadians, uh, just, just, yeah getting over all the hurdles to put out that record. It was, it was wonderful. And Dev also hooked us up with the artist who did the cover work cover for that record. Um, and that was another piece. Like I just, I just feel that that record, we, we, uh, we did everything right. We kind of like, um, each, each piece of it really was, was, uh, well-crafted and yeah, I, I am proud of it. I think it's, you know, it, it's also something I wanted to ask was, at the time, did it feel like it was a big success? And what I mean by that is now that album is looked upon as, in a way, a cult classic. Um, it's considered a pinnacle in the genre and the game. Um, you know, you guys did a reunion tour based off it around 2014. But at the time, was it as well received and loved by the general public? Again, it's such a weird thing, right? Because we like to be part of it, to be right there. Um, sometimes you don't see 
the growth, you know, it's, it's, it's so incremental. It's so small. Um, whereas the people at home, I think, see it, you know, my mom and dad and my, my brothers and my friends and stuff like that. Um, there was hype, you know, there was, there was hype and, 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 especially in our hometowns in Edmonton and Milwaukee and Calgary, some of these places, um, you could see it resonating. You could see right away that, that it, um, people were screaming these words with me. Um, and I could see that, that it mattered. And I, I've always done my best to just to be around and to talk with kids and stuff and, and people before and after shows and that kind of thing. So, yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I saw that very, very quickly it was there was something happening but it was nothing like what would come to be for the malice x you know like i didn't i i just got to kind of um just kind of like do the the grunt work or the hard work because i left they kicked me out so early on in that trajectory or whatever i didn't kind of feel or get to experience some of those bigger tours you know once i left then they kind of started to do the tours with as i lay dying um and some of these bigger bands it couldn't have been easy to deal with though you know um not sorry i didn't mean to cut you off but it couldn't have you know you mentioned in there you're getting kicked out when it's really starting to move forward um and i know personally i would have i wouldn't have dealt well with that i would have felt a bit heartbroken um a bit outcast uh my depression probably would have escalated um it couldn't have been easy for you to deal with because you've had a big busy few years that you haven't quite dealt with yet and then this happens to you which at the time would have felt like uh your baby and suddenly you're away from the baby you're you're removed from it yeah, it's one of the one of the more challenging uh, times in my life. Certainly, um, I came home and I uh, I just kind of again instead of maybe dealing with things, I, I just started working really hard. I just went straight to university and um, just focused all of my just focused everything on on university and becoming a school teacher. So. Uh, yeah, it was, it was hard. It was a, a super challenging point in my life, but it, it, you know, it, it pushed me to become a teacher. Um, so I'm again, very, yeah, I guess thankful. I guess I'm thankful for, for how everything has played out, you know, as, as strange as that is. So to go back, um, you know, and get to then experience Malice X and, and then see like, cause I was so pissed you know, afterwards that I just, Man, I didn't even listen to anything. I didn't listen to Mirrors when I came out. I heard some controller stuff here and there, just like at parties and stuff when it came out. Um, you know, it wasn't really till Absent Light where I was like kind of healed enough where I would like, okay, I'd listen to the, I listened to that record when it came out. So to go back and do Malice, then I was able to um, see that impact that you were getting at before. I was able to talk with kids again and and play these songs, you know. Um, and see how much how much they did mean, and then now all of a sudden, you know, maybe in those first couple of years there, I could see that the kids were passionate, but it was only a hundred or two hundred kids singing, right? Hmm. Um, which is awesome, and I'm not I'm not downplaying that. That's an amazing achievement. Uh, but the malice X thing was just this next level of insanity that um, 
obviously spurred us to continue to go on. If we hadn't, if Malice X hadn't been what it was, uh, there wouldn't be ultraviolet. And I, I don't even think there'd be misery signals right now. Well, I mean that, that period before of Malice X, you know, I, in a way you hit the nail on the head. It kind of must've been a bit of a blessing in disguise because you had the teacher element, you know, your life is able to take shapes and forms that maybe possibly wouldn't have happened if you were so ingrained into a band life because being in a band means sacrifices to your life, you know, relationships, families, things like that. And you were able to create that while away from the band. Um, But, you know, yesterday meant everything, the doco, a lot of it was covered, but... Can you just, in a in a kind of brief way, explain how it was that the Of Malice X reunion kind of came about, and for you, um, how much trepidation and expectation and nerves there was for you coming back to do reunion shows with the guys who basically had removed you ten years prior? It's a, it's, it's, yeah. yeah, it's a hard way of saying it, but it is basically, yeah, unfortunately no, what happened. Absolutely. Uh, so it came about um, just time. I mean, just us, you know, we spent a lot of time together. And like I said earlier, like when I joined Seven Angels, I, I formed really good relationships with Kyle and Ryan uh, early on. And, and then we just we just were together you know, for, for a few years straight. So we became more like brothers than anything else. And it was a, cha- a challenging time because I had lost my compromise um, brothers, you know, and I was always kind of constantly comparing compromise to misery signals. And, and in the beginning, misery signals was more of, you know, this business relationship because we were, we didn't know each other all that well. It was just like, we'd been friends for a few months. We had toured a little bit together and then, okay, we're just going to like try and, take the world over right um so it was a uh a a strange relationship from from very early on and so as i said you know very angered and hurt when i come back and i don't even listen or or focus on what those guys are doing for those few years but stewart is my childhood friend you know stewart is uh where I live right now, Stuart's folks live like four blocks away, you know, um, after university, my wife and I move into, uh, deeper into the prairies. We move into Saskatchewan to, in order to take teaching jobs. And I just, I don't see those guys. Like I, I, I don't see them for a couple of years. I'm, I see them in Edmonton at shows once a year here and there. Um, you know, there's not a lot of uh, growth, and there's not a lot of conversation, uh, and there's not a not a lot of growth of our relationship or fixing up of anything during those years. But in the couple years preceding Malice X, we we do start to talk and we start to um, you know have online conversations more. And in about about a year prior, you know, it it. The anniversary was looming, basically, and we all started kind of talking about this idea of maybe playing a couple shows, maybe just Edmonton, Milwaukee, something like that. Um, And luckily, uh, at that point, I was just living just outside of a place called Regina. And at that point, they came through on the Absent Light Tour. 
and Ryan and I, I just went to the show and I sang in the year summer ended in June with them. And we just hung out. We just had a good time and um, started to kind of reconnect. And then it made sense that we were going to probably play, you know, two or three or four shows. And then it just kind of blossomed or grew from that into if we're going to do all this practicing and getting our acts together so that we can do some shows, well, let's, you know, maybe do a a week or two weeks of shows. Um, It just made sense. So that's how that came together. And uh, trepidation or or, uh, reluctance, it was uh, um, a very intimidating thing because I I didn't sing for so, so, so long. So all of a sudden I was down in the prairies living in this small town called Stoughton, uh, an hour and a half southeast of Regina, just just the middle of Canada. Um, And I'm preparing for this this to be a heavy metal singer again but i'm just this i'm an english teacher you know i'm uh by day an english teacher and in the evenings i would run out next to cows and and scream my head off next to hay bales and cows just trying to get my voice back you know and and that was the the scariest part was just this is 10 years on you know i'm an older man can i still do this you know can i do this again it's it's much like, I guess, an athlete, right? Like trying to go back and achieve and trying to do the same things that you did when you were a younger person uh, is very, very challenging, very intimidating. So I just, I've always been a runner. I just ran my ass off and just got myself into the best shape I could. And like I said, just went out and screamed and screamed and screamed in, in the prairies and gained my voice back as, as good as I could get it. Um, but then as soon as we started practicing in Vancouver, my voice was gone. I just, I just lost it. And so that rain city sessions, uh, we do that, uh, just kind of this live performance at a studio called rain city in Vancouver at the very beginning of that tour. And that show, like that day I had no voice. I'm gargling water or gargling salt water, doing everything I can to take care of my voice. But uh, even, you know, up until I did my first yell at that, at that show, I like, I didn't even know if I could, from there on, I mean, I, I kind of was able to do it through that tour, but it was uh, it, it was challenging and hard on this old guy to come back and try and sing like that every night, um, you know, for for an extended amount of time. Thankfully, the uh, the people screaming with me helped helped me out a lot on that one. Yeah, well, I mean, I mean, how's how are you now with your voice? Obviously, you know, you've laid down tracks for an album, but you guys have kind of been. You know, before the virus, you were doing shows here and there, and there was a tour organized. So, where are you now with your voice? Has your voice regained its strength, um, and have you trained it back up? I mean, where are you now with your voice compared to twenty fourteen? Yes, much more active. You know, like it's it's a, still a, a hard thing because I think uh, when I was my best, you know, it was I wouldn't lose my voice ever. We could tour for two or three months straight, and I wouldn't I would never lose my voice at all. Like I would barely even become hoarse um but i just i've been sing for so many years in between so now when i when we've come back you know i've i've kept up with it i have luckily now i'm back in edmonton where i have a lot of people that i can make music with so the last couple of years have been a, a lot easier once we we move back home um it's given me the opportunity to scream a lot more um i also do 
my brother and I and some of our friends just do like a rock and country kind of cover band thing. Um, so that helps as well, you know. So yeah, there's a lot more opportunity now for to keep my voice uh, at a at, in a better state. Yeah, and I think I think something maybe some listeners don't understand with a, a voice that you're having to push to the extremes of being basically you're abusing your voice. You have to keep it trained, um, and that's the thing. Like you said, you're kind of like an athlete. If you're not training for a while, and then you suddenly go to do a a hundred meter sprint, you're probably going to pull up sore and maybe pull a muscle, but you're obviously now constantly training it, keeping it fit, keeping it ready. Right. Yeah. It's just like a muscle. It's just like any muscle, man. You just have to, you just have to keep, keep at it. Right. And yeah, not, not expect it to go from zero to 60. Mm. Now, definitely thing I'm excited is we, we've got to talk about some ultraviolet now. Um, First thing before we get to Ultraviolet is around 2016, the rumors started circling that you were back in the band full time. Is this when you guys started to look at piecing together a new album? Because I've heard that you guys, for this album, it took four to five years, slow growth to get this album together. Right. So it's just, it's just kind of this strange path where we play that first round of shows from Alice X and it goes well. And then we decide that we're going to do a couple more, um, that coming December. So three or four months later, we, uh, book Los Angeles and Dallas, Texas after the Dallas show, which was the last show of the whole Alice thing. Um, we just all went down to this area, um, deep elm where we used to hang out when we were kids and just ate pizza and drank beer and and just had a really good time and i think we could all feel it this this thing was coming to an end and and i i don't think any of us really wanted to i think you see that through the documentary yesterday was everything i think you see um how much maybe through the whole thing I'm just like wanting to to get this band back together and how much Ryan in the beginning is kind of like, Oh, I don't know if we can even do this anymore. Um, and I think by the end, a lot of that uh, trepidation, a lot of our reluctance started to, to, to go away. And I think we had a really enjoyable time on that tour. Um, not only on stage, but just off stage and, and working through some of the problems of the past, and so that evening, um, Ryan and I just started talking about writing new music. And even at that point, it didn't, it wasn't necessarily going to be misery signals. It was just going to be the malice guys writing a new record. Um, and like I said earlier, like, I don't know that there would even be misery signals now. Cause I feel that at the end of absent light, they were, uh, it was kind of just fading off and, and it's, it's a challenge as you get older to do this, you know, a real challenge. And I think Malice X kind of breathed, breathed some more life into this band. Um, and that night, Ryan and I just said, like, let's just write some, some songs. So I went back to Saskatchewan and went back to teaching. And we all went our separate ways. Kyle and, and Stuart went back to doing Comeback Kid. And Brandon went back to doing drum teching stuff and we just for the first year it was just ryan and i kind of like passing riffs back and forth and it was super slow we just wrote maybe like two songs um 
but then in the, in the second year, uh, it, you know, it was probably twice as much. We wrote four songs or something. Uh, and then after that, <clears throat> I think maybe after two years in, it kind of started to look like they weren't going to get back together with Carl. And if we were going to do this, maybe it just made sense to do it as misery signals. So then I came back and started singing, um, the shows that we would do then, you know, like I started singing Carl songs and stuff as well. So, um, yeah, it was, it's just, um, a very slow change, a very slow growth. Uh, and then in the last couple of years, it was like, it was more focused. It was, um, getting together more often, you know, uh, working working harder at whittling the songs down and constructing them uh and choosing choosing the the songs for the record so it has been a heck of a process um and some of the record is lyrically about that it's just you know when we were young we could be in a basement together for 90 days you know and and nothing else came in between that nothing else uh, interrupted that we didn't have obligations or we didn't even have other desires in life beyond just getting this band to the to be the best it could be you know now um we have uh, you know we have careers and and most importantly i think for ryan and i ryan and i we have children so there's these different relationships and different obligations that we've had to work around um so We've, I think we've still put as much of our heart and, and soul into this record. Um, it just took us four years to do it because we didn't have so much time to just only do Misery Signals. Something, you know, I had to ask about the album, you know, without hearing it and just based off hearing The Tempest um, alone, it feels like um, on that song, not only musically but lyrically, there seems to be a lot more light within the song, if you know what I'm trying to say. You know, there's a sense of uh, hope within that song. Not to say that there never was um, on Of Malice, but Of Malice was very much, um, you know, anger, pain kind of feelings. But this song alone, Tempest, feels a lot more light, a lot more positive. There's still some anger in there, but it feels like it's on the lighter side of the scale. Is The Tempest an example of where this album is lyrically? Yes. It's a very conscious thing, very um, something that I set out to do for sure. And I think something that I just think myself, like um, my own philosophy or whatever, Five years, you know, say is an example of something that I understand that it resonates with people and it's 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 pissed. It's it's people like it. Um, some of those lyrics I'm not proud of. You know, some of that really angry stuff is not stuff that I want to show my daughter. That you know, if you know, or my if my kids in my school ask me, you know, show me some cool lyrics you wrote, Mister Z. It, that stuff is not the stuff that I'm that I'm the most proud about. Um, I had to get that stuff out of me, you know, it was important in, in myself as, as a person then to be screaming my ass off to deal with the pains of my life. Uh, but as a father and someone that's, that's older, I think it's important to, uh, to grow. And I think if I was still screaming, I was still as pissed off as I was when I was 22 years old. Um, there might be something wrong with me. So, and I'm not saying, you know, the band is called Misery Signals and there's, there's a lot of room in this world for, for anger and, 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 um, 
and contempt and things like that. You know, I, I'm, I, I don't walk through life, uh, you know, um, pretending that there's not bad in this world. It's just, it was important for me to this, this time to, to, for there to be a little bit more light, a little bit more hope. I remember reading a comment. I know which you should never read the comments, but I remember reading a comment on a misery signals, maybe on Facebook or Instagram or something. Some fella said, I love the band. He said, but I just, I wish there was more hope. It is such a hopeless, uh, there's such, such a hopeless band, you know, and, and it is, it is so dark and so angry, a lot of it, you know, and, and it's been important for Ryan and I and us to get these things off our chest to grow. And, and I needed to scream these things and we needed to write these words and make this music to, um, to deal with life. You know, it's, it's art. Uh, it was important though this time for me to, to be a little bit more positive and a little bit more hopeful. And I don't mean that in like a cheesy, like pausey. This is not like, um, yeah, I, I don't think that it's, that it's cheesy. And that was a challenge because, Try and find bands that are that are really great, heavy, strong, musically dark, uh, but then lyrically positive and hopeful. There's not much of that, you know. It's it's really a hard thing to do. And I know that when we hit things great on Malice, it's when I was pissed. It's when the music was pissed. It was when we were super passionate. Um, so to now all of a sudden try and like take that and change it and and put a more positive on it uh was challenging and and it's not every song you know there's not there's not that positive hopefulness that you hear in the tempest it's it's not on every single song but it is far uh there's much much more of it on this record than than on malice or any i think of the preceding efforts that the guys put out and how does it feel for you to uh be back releasing music 16 years after the last piece of music you released with this album. <laughs> I mean, that's crazy. Like, that's full circle, and I love that. That's a powerful story unto itself. It's surreal, and it's strange, and it's weird, and it's like just the other day I was thinking myself, like, like we're, we're like... I remember when Judas Priest came back with Painkiller, mm-hmm. and I remember, like, thinking, holy shit, this is, like... This is heavy, heavy, amazing music, you know. But these guys are old men, you know. <laughs> like as a little guy, I was—I remember thinking that, you know. It's like, and I remember thinking the other day, like, we're, we're that's kind of like where where we're at, right? Like, we're we're not like I, I'm I'm 41 years old, and Kyle's 40 years old. Like, like even Brandon, you know, is is in, in his 30s now, and it's like when we started, Brandon was just out of high school. He was just, he was literally a kid. Um. So to be back where we are right now, us five together, having uh, gone through the fires and and, uh, and and fixed our relationships and grown as as brothers and and to be here and to watch Ryan being a dad and and uh, being a great dad and being a record producer and to watch Brandon being this just force on the drums. Uh, that people look up to and then seeing Stuart and Kyle tour the world with Comeback Kid. Uh, I just, I'm, I'm very happy where we all are. I also think um, it's exciting, you know, to see the reaction that the pre-orders have had already, that the single has had already. I mean, the reaction I've seen online has been just 
you know, I think I expected it, but it's been mind-blowing to see and heartwarming to see how much people are behind uh, you guys and the single and the upcoming album. Yeah, we are, um, we are, we are overjoyed at the response that we have received. It has been, um, as you say, heart, absolutely heartwarming and, and encouraging, um, and absolutely will, uh, will push us to keep, to keep going. It's intimidating. Like I just, I keep using that word, but man, to come back, um, and to try and, and, and keep this band going. And I know that there's always going to be the Carl and I, people are always going to compare what we've done. Um, and compare what those guys did in the past. So it was, uh, you know, a, a stressful thing at times to, to release this and to come back, uh, as we are, but we are, um, yeah, I think, uh, the strongest unit we've ever been. And I think that, uh, just, just more, more good is, is yet to come. Now, uh, something I had to ask with the release of the album, you know, the album comes out August 7th, um, I told people the other week when the single released, it was uh, single of the week. Everyone has to, you know, if you've got a f- few spare bucks, make sure you get something pre-order, help the guys out. It's important. Um, but my question is, the time of climate that the world's going through, we've seen a lot of bands understandably can't tour. And a lot of bands are also postponing the release of their albums. But you guys not only announce the album in the midst of this chaotic climate, but uh, pushing forward with the release. Were you at any stage hesitant to maybe put a pause on announcing and releasing it? Or was it as soon as you were ready to release it, no matter what you were going to release it? Uh, No, there was absolutely some, uh, we were definitely timid about, about releasing in this climate. Um, There was some discussions had about, delaying things and and what that would look like and what we could do but i think ultimately that hope that idea of hope and the lyrics of the tempest uh was one of the deciding factors for us um stuart and i had a conversation about uh this this song maybe being something that uh people needed at, at this point and maybe it was just the perfect um well, I don't want to use the word perfect. That's that's kind of cocky or something. But it was it was a good uh, representation of the band, and it was a good sentiment. The lyrics were something that people could could hold on to right now. And I think part one of the conversations we had too is this is this is this weird, crazy time that we are all experiencing. And as, as much as it might not be the most financially um, smart choice we've ever made. This is a memorable time to release music, right? People will remember it, and I think people have a lot of time right now to to um, be with music. So uh, I think that we've put out uh, this music in a time where where people will probably remember it in in a interesting way. Mm. No, I think so too. I think so too. It's um, I think it's you know the perfect time get. If you've got some content to get out, people are going to pretty much absorb it a lot more probably frequently than maybe they wouldn't if they had work or lives going full force. So I think it's great. And also, personally for me, I'm actually disappointed there's not more new music getting released at the moment. I'm I'm just a sponge. It's like I want new stuff to listen to. So uh, the fact that I've had The Tempest and I know I've got more stuff coming uh, works for me. If I'm the only one that's getting released for 
I'm fine with that. Works for me. Um, <laughs> you mentioned there about the future of the band and how the reaction has kind of shown you guys, in a way, some motivation to keep going. So obviously with some tours postponed, they will get reorganized. But with life and, as you mentioned, you know, wife, kids, job, uh, what is the band like looking forward in about a year's time? Is it going to be touring on your terms? Um, because you can't go back to being a, you know, 30 days out of 31 touring band. Right. Um, I think it's just trying to find that balance. Um, I think that we're all pretty open to maybe maybe touring three months of the year. You know, maybe something like that. Not... We were just silly when we were kids, right? Like we would tour America for 60 days straight. And I mean, it's that passion and that drive that, that largely got us um, got us noticed. But a lot of that also, I think, really hurt the band and hurt our relationships. Um, yeah, I think, I think that we're at a point where um, we're lucky enough that, that people enjoy the band. Um, we can, we can make it work financially we're not making a whole bunch of money but we can go and and play shows in the states i can fly down there um and and we're all willing to work around the other things in life you know the the comeback kid is is very busy band and brandon's very busy with follow boy ryan's very busy with recording and family life and and my school teaching gig um definitely doesn't make things easy but there's gaps, you know, I have spring breaks, I have summer vacations, I have Christmas breaks. And if things go well in the next while, like I would take a year or two off of teaching. Um, this whole COVID thing has just thrown such a wrench in the works. Um, so it's, it's hard to say, but the band wants to be much more active than it has been in a very long time. And uh, that is our, our desire. Now, last thing to ask, um, and I want to finish on Ultraviolet, and, you know, we've talked about kind of the the bit of positivity and hope within it, the light within it. Um, You know, based off the Tempest and any future singles, but the album unto itself, what do you hope uh, people take from it um, and what do you um, aim for people to take away from it? hope Mm. i hope that it gives people strength and i hope it uh gives people hope to just to just keep going and and, uh just to be good man i just i just i hope people uh read my words and i hope that it helps them to get through things in life i hope that it helps them uh run far and bike far and uh lift weights and and just be good. Just, I just want, uh, I, I want our music to, to help people. Yeah. Fuck yeah, man. Well, it does. I mean, Tempest just alone in itself, uh, will. So I think this album's going to be, um, epic. And like I said earlier, guys, it's August 7th. Um, it's ultraviolet, but of course, when I, you know, everyone will get told plenty about that before it gets released. Don't worry about that. Now, Jesse, we are going to wrap up with pick your poison. So, yeah. Um, quick fire round. You obviously know a bit about it. So, um, as I say to everyone, some are easy, some are hard. Um, 
You don't need to justify your answer, but some people are worried that if they say something that people are going to give them hate. But I say, don't worry about what people say. If you want to justify it, justify it. <laughs> now, it's also strange because as I say to a couple of people lately, a lot of people seem to enjoy this more than the conversation, which is strange. But hey, it is unto itself what it is. Right, let's get going. Uh, a pizza or a burger? Burger. Okay. Ribs or brisket? Ribs. Ooh, he's got the quick fire trigger here. Uh, risotto or pasta? Pasta. Okay. Uh, Chinese takeaway or Indian takeaway? That's a tougher one because I've really grown to love some butter chicken and stuff lately. Um, man, I'll go with the Indian takeaway. Okay. Uh, chicken or beef? I'm a fan of both. It would be, uh, I guess in my older age, I try to eat more chicken. Okay. Uh, soft taco or crunchy taco? Crunchy all the way. Uh, smooth peanut butter or crunchy peanut butter? Smooth. Coffee or tea, man? Uh, much more coffee now. I drank a lot of tea growing up because my grandmother drank a lot of tea. But as I became a teacher, I, uh, I started drinking coffee and I'm definitely a bit of a, a coffee addict these days. Yeah, I can't, I can't start my day without a couple of cups, personally. Um, cook at home or dine out? Uh, I'm a bit of an introvert, so I think for the most part, uh, I, I, would, I would dine in. Okay. New movies out. Do you want to see it at the cinema or watch it at home on the couch? Even though I'm an introvert, I do like the uh, the movie experience with the with the crowd and the the whole shebang. So yeah, I would go out to see the new film. Um, now, the next one is an interesting one because of where you live. But would you rather spend the day day at the beach or a day at the snow? I snowboard a lot, and I mean, I love the Canadian weather. I I, I like the. The different seasons that we experience up here, but I I do love the beach, um, and I like heat. Uh, I would go to the beach. Okay. Uh, cat or dog? I'm a dog guy. Yeah, buddy. Um, okay. We're going to throw in a couple of wrestling ones here. Um, <laughs> Randy Savage or Mr. Perfect? Macho Man. Okay. Uh, Hulk Hogan or Ultimate Warrior? Hogan was just my hero growing like when I was little like I was talking about Saturday Night Main Events I yeah Hulk Hogan was was the dude now this one's a little bit more of a modern one but Eddie Guerrero or Chris Benoit I really I I I don't know much about uh wrestling beyond like 1986 you know like Jimmy Superfly Snuka and and uh the Iron Sheik stuff like that that's my those are my days um Chris Benoit, I, I, I guess uh, I know of him much more. Hmm. But, yeah, that's I, I, that's a tough one for me, man. I'm sorry. Hey, no need to be sorry. Um, okay, couple movie ones. Terminator or Predator? Oof, geez. Uh, Predator, I think first Predator is, is, is really great. It is. It's kind of, kind of a classic, I think, the first Predator. Second Predator is horrible, though. Like, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> oh. Oh. No, but I don't mind. Like second, I like Terminator too. Oh yeah, 
Yeah. See, Terminator 2 is better than Terminator 1. It's quite weird, that. Yeah, I agree. Uh, James Bond or Jason Bourne? Ooh. I think I've actually enjoyed those Bourne movies more than I've enjoyed Bond movies. Hmm. Okay. Um, Rambo series or Rocky series? Ooh. Uh, I boxed quite a bit when I was a kid and actually, uh, I think after I saw Rocky five was kind of the thing that pushed me into joining my local boxing club. So I'll go with Rocky, <laughs> um, star Wars or star Trek, star Wars all day. Okay. Now some music ones, uh, Metallica or Megadeth. Ooh, holy smokes. I have to say Metallica, but yeah, this is a tough one because Megadeth, uh, I think Rust in Peace is, is one of the finest uh, heavy metal, well, one of the finest creations of all time. But I'll say as a, as, as a, as a whole, Metallica. Uh, Slayer or Pantera? <laughs> Pantera is so goofy lyrically, but <laughs> I, like the, I like the music so much. Uh, and it's tough. That's a tough one. It's, 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 I find both of, of the later stuff of those bands real goofy. So mm. it's, a, it's a hard choice. Um, if I'm going to put down, put uh, on some heavy music to, to ride my bike to a run, I'll probably more likely that I put on Pantera. Okay. Um, Converge or Dillinger Escape Plan? Converge. Okay. Uh, Darkest Hour or God Forbid? Oh, Darkest Hour. Okay. And that's, prob- that's probably more to do with just the human beings because I, I just, we toured with Darkest Hour and I just love those guys, right? So it's not even necessarily a music thing, that one. Yeah, it's a personal thing, but that's that's an acceptable answer. Hey. Right. Um, Terra or Madball? Madball. Madball is like, when I start getting into hardcore as a kid, that's, that's, that's my thing is like sick of it all and Madball, just that kind of tough guy, hardcore and man, Madball and Freddie. Freddie's very influential on me uh, really? lyrically. Oh, okay. Yeah. Um, okay. We've got the last few. You're playing a show. Do you want stage dives happening around you or mic grabs? I like the stage dives. I like the stage dives. Mm-hmm. Okay. Now you're going to go to a show. Are you going to watch it from the middle of the pit or by the sound desk? I will try and, try and experience both. Uh, I know that sometimes can be a challenge. Uh, but yeah, both offer something unique, something different. You know, I think a lot of the time when you're at the back or by the sound guy, you are you're getting to watch the crowd. You're getting to experience probably the sound at the best um, best it's going to be. But there's nothing like being right up there in in the sweat and in the blood. And yeah, uh, I would probably try and do both. Now two left. Now this one, you need one to go with the other. So, but let's just imagine you don't need one to go with the other. So, would you rather tour for the rest of your life or record for the rest of your life? Well, that's really hard, man. Because recording, you're leaving behind something for future generations, and that's so important. Um, whereas touring, ah, you're just changing people's lives in the moment. It's just such a special thing to share. This is the most challenging question, man. Megadeth mm. and Metallica was tough. This is tougher. Mm. Oh, I'm going to play shows. Okay. Wow. Okay. Um, 
last one. Now, this is interesting. You know, I'm in my late 30s. I'm 37, nearly 38. Um, now, I know that I still have a collection of this stuff that's called junk by my wife, but would you rather have your favorite album on CD, vinyl, or on your phone? Uh... I think vinyl. I mean, like growing up with with uh, such um, my my parents being such record collectors, the idea of looking at that big art and 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 reading all the lyrics um, and just having this you know kind of book to look at was was so important and so amazing. Um, and I find myself now like, yeah, just sound quality and stuff. Vinyl. Yeah. See, I'm 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 getting my vinyl collection going, but. The wife thinks it's hilarious that I don't have a vinyl player, but I say to her, "But look, I have nearly two hundred vinyls. Look how nice they look. That's important." And I'm the I'm I'm in the exact same boat because through my life, Dad collected, so I would go to the record store with him and I'd pick up my heavy metal records, and but I never had my own player. I just use his, and then as I became a you know teen and a twenty and in my thirties, I've never bought a record player. So I I also have a, a whole lot of records, uh, and I one day we'll, we'll listen to them. <laughs> yeah, one day you'll finally get a player and then, you know, it's just we, we won't even have electricity anymore, so you won't be able to plug it in. It'll be something strange. Um, well, you know, Jesse, first thing, um, I appreciate the conversation. I appreciate how relaxed it felt. Um, it felt literally like we were just sitting at a coffee table together, um, and I appreciate you. Um but most importantly, I really respect and love that I was able to get this done and respect and love you. Thank you, man. Well, I sure appreciate uh, your kind words, sir. This has been a, a very enjoyable experience. And I hope that one day we are just sitting at a coffee table talking about heavy metal. Ah, uh, man, that would be that'd be amazing. Like, I've always said to the wife, I have to go for a holiday to Canada if that ever happens. I'm coming to bother you for an afternoon. If you ever get to Australia again, you're coming to bother me and the wife and we'll make you dinner. Um, that sounds fantastic, my friend. Um, but again, thank you. Yeah, you've made my week, man. Uh, you've made my month. Thank you. Thank you so much, brother. Um, and I'll stay in touch, all right? Yes, please do, man. All right, take care and have a great rest of your day, brother. You as well. All right, catch. Peace, man. Bye.
So that was my chat with Jesse of Misery Signals. And at the end there, you heard the band's track Tempest, which is the first single from their upcoming album Ultraviolet, which sees its release August 7th. You also heard the track The Year Summer Ended in June, and you also heard the track Five Years. Both of those tracks feature on the band's album of Malice and the Magnum Heart. Now's the part of the show where I spark that thing inside you to support the band that's been on the show. So if you enjoyed the conversation, if you enjoyed the music at the end there, now's your chance. Get online, stream it, download it, listen to it. If you're into physical copies, get onto eBay, get onto the band's merch site, grab a CD, grab a vinyl. If you're into merch, get a hoodie, get a shirt, get a hat. Help the band out in that way. With shows and tours not really being a thing for the foreseeable future, make sure you support Jesse and the guys by all of these means. But another important mean that I mentioned already is the new album, Ultraviolet, comes out August 7th. So if you have some cash that you can spare, make sure you pre-order a copy. Now, before I forget, while I've still got time, I need to thank Jesse again. Thank you so very, very, very much, dude, for taking time out for me and the Mosh Zone. Much love, much respect, much appreciated. Look forward to catching up soon and hopefully do a part two down the track. And that's it. That's the Mosh Zone episode 121 done, dusted, all wrapped up locked away for this week. Guys, if you're a first-time listener, thank you for tuning in. I hope you come back over future weeks on future episodes. If you're a regular listener, thank you as always for tuning in and hope you come back in future weeks. This time of the show is when I remind you that we need your help to get out to more listeners. So, If you've got a few moments this week and you enjoyed this episode, share it on your social medias. Also, tell everyone you know about the Mosh Zone. Help us out. Help us grow this Mosh Zone community. Also, at this time of the show, I need to remind you that if you want to find Mosh News and Mosh Reviews, we have it all on our website and social medias. Our website is www.themoshzone.com. Our social medias are all at The Mosh Zone and you can find us on Facebook, Instagram and Twitter. Also, don't forget, you can also get in touch through our email address, which is themoshzone at gmail.com. Get in touch, guys. Help us grow this Mosh Zone community. There's not much else to talk about. That is all of my rambling done. Thank you for tuning in. Have a great week. Stay safe. Open the pitch.